Hi, HDBB. It's a privilege to share with you the message today. I want to speak to you on the subject, how to be transformed through our struggles. And I want to read to you from one of my favorite Bible stories of all time, Jacob's wrestle with God. Now, have you ever had an injury that somehow changed you, whether it was your walk or your plans or your, even your confidence? On a morning in 2014, I had a fall that changed all three. And it was a fall that I will never forget. Jacinta and I were engaged to be married that year, and we were only one month away from our wedding. On that morning, we had set the day to do something really special for a date. And so I chose an unusual location for our date, an island called Pulau Ketam, a small island where you could only get around by cycling or by walking. I had the day all planned out. I would cycle with Jacinta around this beautiful island. The plan was we would watch the sunset, enjoy amazing seafood, and she would spend the whole day overwhelmed with joy by her decision to marry me. And so we got onto one of these bikes. Um, it wasn't exactly a tandem bike because Jacinta couldn't cycle. It was just a bike with an extra passenger seat on it. And no sooner than when we started, a few uncles and aunties in the fishing village began whistling to us, and I realized that I had become an accidental romantic by paddling for my future wife. And so we cycled on, and that was when everything went downhill. We got on this downhill road, the bike went faster and faster, and we went straight into a pothole, and we flew into the air, and we landed really badly on the road. I was so embarrassed. Jacinta scraped her knees, her elbows were bruised, the date wasn't going well at all. You know, I really needed to do something to make up for the day. So I said to her, okay, let's have a nice dinner now. The only thing was, we needed to use the same road, and before we knew it, we were going downhill again, and I couldn't believe it, but the brakes didn't work. And so again, we fell at the exact same spot. But this time, I somehow landed on my bottom. Actually, it was quite a good landing. I was sitting on something soft, but then I realized I couldn't find Jacinta. And then I realized why. I was sitting on her and I couldn't find her head. And I realized why again. I was sitting on her head. And miraculously, one month later, Jacinta still chose to marry me. You know, some people fall in love. Some people fall because of love. And the next month, you know, every time someone saw the limping, they would ask this question. Can you guess what that question was? What happened? Now, if you've ever had a bad fall, you would know that some limps tell a story. In our passage today, we would read about a limp that was caused by an extraordinary encounter. But I want to say up front that this wrestle may be at first something that is highly unusual, involving an angel and an all-night fight. But it is more ordinary than it seems. In fact, this wrestle is what we all experience over the course of our lives, in the important decisions we need to make, in the tensions of choosing to live out our values, in the tensions of life's hardships and struggles. This story tells us how our struggles can lead to growth and transformation. So let's read from Genesis 32, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of Jabok. Okay, two wives. Okay, I think some context is needed here. Now, our story actually begins almost 100 years ago when Jacob is born, around 1791 BC. All of Jacob's life, he had struggled for his place, for a sense of identity. Jacob is the long-awaited son of Isaac, who is the long-awaited son of Abraham, who is the father of many nations. 
And when Isaac prays for a child, the Lord gives Rebekah, his wife, twins. And from the moment that he was born, Jacob was already a trickster and a hustler. It says in verse 21 of Genesis 25 that even in Rebekah's womb, the babies were jostling each other within her. Jacob would spend the rest of his life jostling for significance, to be seen and to be blessed. His very first act in life was actually to wrestle, to grasp the leg of his brother Esau, who came out of first. So he was called Jacob, which literally means supplanter or heel grabber. His name was the Hebrew expression for deceptive behavior. And we're told that as Jacob grows up, he cheats his brother Esau of his birthright. He lies to his father to attain the blessings of a firstborn. And for his deception, Jacob spends the next 20 years of his life on the run from the fury of his brother Esau. And then in a turn of events, Jacob himself is tricked. His uncle Laban tricks him into marrying the wrong woman. He waits for another seven years to marry the woman that he loves, Rachel. And so here we are 20 years later. Jacob is with his two wives and he hears that Esau is actually on his way with 400 men. He's fearful for his life, but now the stakes are even higher. He has a family now. And in verse 23, we continue. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why don't you ask, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Amen. I wonder if you've ever struggled with something really deep for a long time. It may be a struggle to find your tribe or to have an identity, a struggle to receive a blessing, a long-awaited desire. Maybe you're struggling right now. And like Jacob, your wrestle is an ongoing tussle with what seems like an unbeatable, relentless opponent. Then it may be surprising that this relentless opponent was for Jacob, God himself. Commentators have long debated about the nature of this angel that Jacob wrestles with. Some say that he was an angel. Some say he was the pre-incarnate Christ. But we know that at least Jacob was closer to God than anyone has ever been in history. By the end of that wrestle, Jacob named the place saying, I saw God face to face. We all wrestle in life. You might be wrestling with a sense of your place. You might be wrestling with some workplace conflict. You might be wrestling with your boss. You might be wrestling with yourself. Most wrestles tell us something about us. They describe who we are. And then there are some wrestles that don't just describe us, they shape us. And this was the kind of wrestle that Jacob had. And I believe through this lesson, we can learn how to take a journey of transformation through our struggles. Through Jacob's story, we see three stages of transformation that we go through when we encounter a deep struggle. And in each stage, 
There is a state that we experience and a result of that experience. Stage one is fear and struggle. Stage two is tension and growth. And stage three is change and transformation. At stage one, our deepest wrestles often begin with our struggles with fear. You see, Jacob had been a fighter all his life. From his very first breath, he was holding on already to another heel, trying to grab what he desired. He feared insignificance and obscurity. And I wonder if you've ever longed for the blessing of significance and identity, just like Jacob. But now as Jacob encounters this mysterious wrestler, the roles are actually reversed. In verse 24, we read, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. You know, left alone with his thoughts at the lowest point of his life. At night, while Jacob fears for his life, a stranger takes hold of him. All his life, Jacob had wrestled with others. Now it would take a different kind of wrestling for Jacob to confront himself. As he begins to wrestle with God, we see that this wrestle is also a wrestle with his inner demons. And this wrestle begins to define him. Now I wonder, why would God be so intimately involved in wrestling with a human? Throughout history, throughout scripture, we see a loving God who lovingly embraces his people. In Luke, he's the father who embraces his long lost son. In Matthew, he's the mother hen who gathers her brood under her wings. But here, we read that God is wrestling. Why does he wrestle with Jacob? I believe that he's the God who wrestles with us because he loves us more than to leave us with our worst moments alone. He is with us in our deepest moments of struggle. In fact, that is what a wrestle is, proximity in struggle. I think of a good friend of mine who shared recently with me that he had been going through a really tough time in, in his work. He had just started a new business venture, an ambitious project actually, but the whole project took the wind out of his sails and he would wake up with cold sweat every night. He would have panic attacks, fearing the worst, fearing the shadows of his past. And then at the depths of his fears and wrestling, he offered a, just a simple, desperate prayer. He just said, okay, Jesus, I give up. If you're real, you can take over. And one day while he was driving, he put on some worship music. And just like that, the tears came flooding down. They were like healing tears. And he was filled with the spirit and unexplained peace filled his heart. And then he returned home a different person from the person who had left the house that day. The Christian faith says that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you may not be a morning person, but when it comes to hardship, we can choose to be a joy comes in the morning people. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. If you are in this stage of the wrestle, alone, in the dark of night, know that God is near. At this stage, Jacob soon discovers that the one who was wrestling with him was really the God who for all of Jacob's life had wrestled for him. Stage one is the struggle with fear. Stage two is growth intention. In verse 25, we're told that when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
Stage two is the stage of tensions. The tensions that we feel in a struggle often reveal the patterns that we have in our lives. When we are angry or anxious with something, our emotions can be like a map that points towards something deeper. It points to, if you like, a disequilibrium of the soul. And if you've ever been confronted by a sense of gap between who you are and who you should be, if you find yourself with a kind of holy dissatisfaction that there must be more to life than this, you may be on the cusp of new growth. I love this change formula that describes what growth looks like. You know, there are times in our lives when the opposing forces within us can reveal what we truly need to grow in. When we are really dissatisfied with our current state, that's when we are inspired by a vision of a new possible future. When we take steps towards that future and all these things are greater than the forces holding us back, we experience transformation. But before that change happens, there often is a wrestle. There's a wrestle between the past and the future, sometimes literally between our past selves and our future selves, between the cost of that change and the reward of that transformation. As Jacob wrestles with God, he's confronted with himself. It's almost like a mirror has been put in front of him. And the mysterious man who wrestles with him literally asks him, what is your name? You know, our deepest wrestles often have less to do with what we want and more to do with who we are. You see, our identity, who we are, determines how we live. And how we see ourselves determines how we see the world. I recently came across a fascinating psychological study called the SCAR experiment. And in this experiment, volunteers were separated into 10 different cubicles without any mirrors. So uh, they couldn't see how they looked like. The lead researcher explained to the, uh, the participants that the purpose of this study was to observe how people responded to them. And using high-quality makeup, the researcher put bloody and unsightly scars uh, on each of the volunteers' cheek. And she showed each volunteer the new scar with a small mirror, and then after they saw it, she took the mirror away. The researcher's final step was to tell each participant that she needed to put on some finishing touches to their fake scars. But in reality, and they didn't know this, she used a tissue to wipe the scars off completely. However, they believed that they still had those horrible scars on their faces. And then they were sent out to observe how strangers would react to them. When they returned, all 10 volunteers came back with the same report. They observed that the strangers that who met them, that they met, were ruder to them, less kind, and continually looked at their scars. You see, we live out what we believe about ourselves, even if it's not actually true. And this is why the man asked Jacob, who are you? Our tensions can reflect who we really are. Shortcut your tensions and you shortcut your transformation. So often we are tempted to avoid the discomfort, to run from the struggle, to quit the hardship. But in many fields of life, the good stuff comes after something hard. Growth comes through resistance. In life, mountaintop moments may describe how we want to feel, but it's the valley moments that define who we truly want to be. And confession always precedes transformation. You cannot overcome what you don't first acknowledge. And here, Jacob is finally confronted by who he really is. You know, the last time that Jacob was asked what his name was was when he cheated his brother for his blessing. 
In Genesis 27 verse 18, as Jacob was deceiving his father to usurp his brother's blessing, um, his father asked him who he was and he lied. He said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, so please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. This time as he wrestles, Jacob doesn't lie. He tells the truth. He says, I am Jacob. But this is more than the truth of his name. It is a moment of confession of his identity. He's owning up. He's saying, I am Jacob. I'm the supplanter. I've been the deceiver. I've been the guy who grabs what I want from whoever has it. Confession always precedes transformation. And as Jacob owns up to who he has been, God gives him a new identity of who he'll become. Stage three is the stage of change. In verse 28, as Jacob admits his name, he's given a new one. In verse 28, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, Israel literally means fighter of God, the one who wrestles with God. But what's in the name? A man once told his wife, I'd like to buy a boat. His wife said, over my dead body, don't you dare buy a boat, I don't want it. He goes to buy it anyway, and she's absolutely furious. He says to her, okay, okay, honey, people always say that it's a big deal to name the boat, so I'll let you name it. Will that make you happy? She says, yes, okay, that will make me happy. The guy is so happy. The next day, he goes to his boat to see what she's named it, and on it, with big bold letters, the boat is named for sale. It's been said that the first word you probably heard was your name. But you then spend the rest of your life trying to find out the meaning of that name. Our names are so important. They're so important to our identity. They situate us in the story of who we are, where we belong, and what our purpose is. So when Jacob was given a new name, God was completing a transformation that could only be done by spending time in close proximity with him. I wonder if you've ever had your name teased. You know, growing up, having a name like Abel was like a target sign on my back saying, please tease my name. I would have friends making poems of my name all the time. You know, once I answered the phone call too quickly, I stumbled over my words. And for the next few days, I was known as Hi Unable. What I've noticed is the things that we may have grown up experiencing as children, we then experience in adult forms later in life. As a child, you may have been renamed. But today, as a grown-up, you may have been labeled a certain way by your bosses, your friends, or even your family. You may have been shortchanged, discounted, disregarded, or underestimated. The world may describe you, but only God can define you. And notice how Jacob's new name, Israel, was a change from the one who supplanted others to the one who wrestled with God. We understand ourselves most when we are closest to our Maker. And you may think that your struggles are unseen and alone, but God is with you in the tension and the challenge. And He's more interested in who you are becoming than what you're holding. In fact, so interested is God in Jacob's transformation that we never see a human being so near to God again in the Old Testament. Moses could only see the back of God, but Jacob experiences God in real, life-changing, face-to-face proximity. In verse 30, after Jacob is blessed, we read, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. 
You know, I've often read this story and observed that that second part of the sentence, Jacob's limp, the limp that tells the story of transformation and redemption. Jacob had spent his whole life pulling a fast one on others, telling them lies. Now he would be walking slowly for the rest of his life with a true story to tell. The limp was an outward scar that would be a sign to others, not of a life of hurt and trauma, but of God's grace and kindness. Once in his past, Jacob put on the clothes of Esau to get a blessing from his father. He changed his outward appearance to live a lie. But now, through this wrestle, Jacob was no longer the same. God had changed his outward appearance with this limp, a sign of the inward transformation he received to live a new life. Jacob's limp meant that he could no longer run away to another double life. You see, God cannot bless the fake you. I wonder if you too have a limp in your life. You know, the thing about a limp from wrestling with God is that you walk both weaker and stronger at the same time. Weaker because each step is a reminder that you can't walk on your own strength anymore, but stronger because each step is a reminder that God is your strength, that you will never walk the same again. The story ends with Jacob and his limp. But what I didn't realize until recently was the part of the sentence before that says the sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel and he was limping. Why did the author of this story take the care to describe the sun rising? You see, only a few chapters before that in Genesis 28, the author of the story writes about the sun setting. As Jacob flees from his brother Esau after cheating him, in verse 10, we read Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And in a sense, for the next 20 years, as Jacob lives away from his family and home, he runs away from the consequences of his actions, the sun sets on him. Then, here, as he receives a new name, the author writes about the sun rising again, only that it rises above Jacob, a sign of a dawning day, a new chapter. Scripture tells us that when we, we become friends of God, we are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. But this sunrise would only foreshadow another kind of sunrise to come. In Isaiah, the people of Israel, now the multiplied descendants of Jacob, are described as a people walking in the darkness, away from the ways of God. But they are about to encounter the rising sun. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Then we're told that from the line of Jacob, a king would come, that long-awaited savior of the people from whom all blessings flow. His name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the God of Jacob, the God who would wrestle with you on your worst days, the God who would wrestle for you with your worst enemies, the God on the other side of your struggle. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, why don't we just take a moment to pray? And wherever you are, you may want to raise your hands like this. It's a posture of openness. It's actually a posture of wrestling as well. Uh, as we come to God saying, these are my struggles. This is who I am. And I surrender to you. And we pray that simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you now. Just take a moment to wait for him.
Jesus, we thank you that you're the God, not just of our good side, you're the God of our ugly sides as well. And you're with us in the embrace and in the wrestle. And today for whoever is going through a difficult time, who's wrestling with themselves or with circumstances around them, thank you that you are near us. You are proximate to us in the struggle. So today we receive your spirit. We receive your strength and we say, come Holy Spirit, as we worship you right now.